I'm Mariella Harvey-Hanrahan and it is my pleasure on behalf of Fashion Council Western Australia to welcome you to Fashion Council WA's Industry Forum High Tea presented by AMP Capital Shopping Centres and supported by CGM's Communications. I'd like to thank Perth's new designer Crush QT and our wonderful partner AMP Capital Centres for continuing to support West Australian and Australian fashion. I'd also like to welcome this morning to Western Australia Margie Woods from Victoria and Woods and and Adrian Norris from Age. Thank you guys for getting on a trip. I'd also hope you are enjoying the catering this morning. A wonderfully creative collaboration between WA designer Daniel Romnan of One Fell Swoop, Armani Ronaldi of Sugar and Nice, and of course QT. Our beautiful florists are by talented Matthew Landers, and also thank you to PAV Perth Audiovisual for the podcast today. The podcast will be available on the Fashion Council WA website along with the selection of other podcasts at the conclusion of the Telstra Perth Fashion Festival. It's now my great pleasure to introduce Alicia Kemp, Fashion Category Manager from AMP Capital Shopping Centres. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to welcome you to this morning's Industry Forum and High QT, which AMP Capital are proud to present as part of our role as Principal Presenting Partner of this year's Telstra Perth Fashion Festival. AMP Capital has long been a supporter of the Australian fashion industry and the unique creativity that our national and local designers can contribute to the inspiring places we seek to create at our shopping centres across the country. We are proud to sponsor the Telstra Perth Fashion Festival again in 2018, their 20th anniversary. Today we have the unique opportunity to glean valuable business insight from some of Australia's innovative fashion creatives. In our long-standing relationship with Australian fashion in the fashion industry, AMP Capital have witnessed the dynamic changes and developments in the Australian fashion and the ever-growing presence we have established on the global stage. Now more than ever, AMP Capital are committed to supporting and developing the Australian fashion industry and our local creative talent. Before I hand over to our dynamic host, Melissa Hoyer, I'd like to just say a few words about 20 years of Telstra Perth Fashion Festival. I don't know if anyone knows this, but 20 years means that the next week they start again for next year. So these guys from the festival never get a break. They go and talk to people about sponsorships. They persuade people to come all the way from Sydney and Melbourne and jump on a plane at any given time. They really conjure up creative direction. And I want to take my hat off to festival director, Mariella, for doing it for 20 years. Amazing job. Now I'd like to introduce the very dynamic Melissa Hoyer, Editor-at-Large of Vogue Australia, Channel 7 commentator and news.com.au columnist. Please join me in welcoming Melissa and our wonderful panel. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, It's uh, so lovely to be invited. Mariella, thank you for having me. And Alicia, thank you for your very kind words. It's always, uh, you know, obviously all around Australia, there are fashion festivals. I've I've been to Brisbane just the other week. Melbourne, we just had Vogue Fashion Night out in both Sydney and Melbourne. So it's been a very, very sort of fashionable time the last couple of weeks. So it was actually quite a nice treat to have five hours on a plane yesterday. So um, anyway, let's uh, get started. So I want to introduce you, I think, to our three very dynamic designers uh, who uh, Mariella has uh, kindly wrangled for this morning. So um, Adrian Norris. Hi there. Hi. Um, Nina, Nina Urgic. from of course, from One Fell Swoop. Hello, Nina. Lovely to see you. And, of course, we have the gorgeous Margie Woods from Victoria and Woods. 
We're going to make this very, very relaxed. I just think what you probably want to hear from three, you know, fashion dynamos that we have up here are their strategies, the way they got into the business, where they see it going, e-commerce versus retail versus e-tail, social media use, how important that is. I think just a really lovely conversation. Of course, we will have as well a Q&A afterwards. So please uh, feel free to uh, think of some questions that you might have for each of our panellists. So Adrian, I think I just want to start with you. Age or age? Oh God, it's, yes. Do you know what? It's, it's a hard one. It's Tell age. Me. It is a, it's so, age. So just yeah. think of age. Yeah, it's yeah. like the Bogan version because a lot of people are like, oh, it's age. I'm like, no, no, it's just age. Because it's funny. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about anyone else in the room, but I often have people, they'll say... Oh, yes, and I've got this amazing Arge Yeah, I do. Thing. People and then do it all the time. Say, I get introduced oh, as Arge quite often as well. And <laughs> I just let it, people roll with it. I'm like, you can call it whatever you like. As long as you're saying and talking about it, it's fine. <laughs> Good. We yeah. love that. We love that. So, so Margie, I mean, with Victorian Woods, I mean, 15 years now in the business, how, okay, what was the thing that said to you, okay, bang, it's fashion, that's where I want to go? Oh, gosh. Um, I really think it was just always kind of, in my bones to Mm -hmm. be in fashion and probably also to have my own business. I always felt like wanted to be in control and entrepreneurial and prior to having my own label, I worked with a few different fashion labels for many years. And then the idea for my own label came from an idea that I pitched to one of my employers and I'd probably pitched it for two years and she kept saying, no, I'm not doing it. Not yeah. doing it. So I just said, okay, well, I'll do it. So, so what was so that idea? It was basically a, a basics label made yep. from super fine merino wool. And I just felt it was a bit of a gap in the market for that kind of luxury basics. And and it worked. So how <laughs> difficult though was it, I mean, to, to go from having obviously worked with other design houses yeah. and then to create your own? Was it you know, financially, was it a, a strain? Yeah, look, it was so, I remember... Um, I think I just came back from a quite a large European trip and I had a credit card bill that was really big. Mm-hmm. But this opportunity to have a go at this came along and I had my then partner, Victoria, mm-hmm. who helped me produce this prototype. And um, I just ran with it. I just put it into a suitcase and hit the road and it worked. And I just took a leap of faith and never looked back. Even with that credit card bill, it just, it worked. <laughs> and back then it was so much easier too. There was, wasn't as many brands out there yeah. and, you know. So, so, so when you named, obviously, the label Victoria Woods, yeah. You were with Victoria. Yeah, yeah. Um, when did Victoria... She probably left about two years later, but it always felt like my brand and I kept the name because yeah, it had a lot of... Did you ever think of changing the name? Oh, look, I, I still do sometimes, but... No, <laughs> no, no, once so, you're branded, you're branded. Yeah, but it's, it's well known and, and it's, you know, it had a lot of equity in the market back then and I just kept it and, and it still feels, you know, just as much as it's all mine. So it's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. It's yours. So, Adrian... <laughs> it's Adrian so with age, I mean, you really have become a force to be reckoned with in a fashion sense. You. You've got your show, obviously, tonight as part of the Telstra Fashion Festival. You've just been away. You're like you've done. Da, 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 da. You've been all over the place. Yeah, it never stops. So you, it doesn't <laughs> stop. How how hard is it to maintain your position in the marketplace? Because you know, at the moment, you really are in a very powerful and very highly regarded position. Yeah, do you know, what? I think it's a it's a big question. We've got to where we've got by finding balance and you always have to find balance with the really high fashion aspect which for a number of years we probably weren't 
as good at it as we are now, but we were always very commercial. So it's finding that balance between being commercially successful, which allows you to go and do those amazing big events and do the crazy big dresses and all that sort of stuff. So for us, finding that balance in the end, it's about making sure that we sell stuff to customers continually every day through our stores and through our online stores and through all of our partners. But then on top of that, it's about maintaining brand integrity. So making sure that always these garments are elevated and the images are elevated and we're doing amazing fun fashion things and keeping everyone engaged. So it is, it's a really big balance. And do you, um, when you think of your target market, do you have a specific target market or you, you, uh, you it's are It's really hard. Everyone goes, well, what's your target market? We have customer segmentation, mm. which I think is a lot better than a target market because I think saying, oh, I only sell to 18 to 30 year old women. Nowadays, it doesn't work. Like a 50 year old woman can wear something that a 20 year old is also wearing. I think it's more about looking at what your customer's end use goal is. And I think in our business, we're really specific about that. We have four customers and we break it up and they sometimes one customer will buy from a different customer. Obviously, it crosses over, but we found that we were having a lot of issues because we weren't concentrating on customer. We were concentrating on fashion. So we were going, mm. oh, we'll make this amazing dress. We'll go, oh, that's like a really beautiful ladylike dress because it's got long sleeves and it's long. And then we go, we'll make it really fashionable and we'll take the back of it out. And so the lady that we wanted to sell it to can't wear a bra with it. Yes. And so that was like a really steep learning curve to try and find that balance between saying, okay, well, this is for this customer. If it's for a fashion customer, she doesn't need a bra. She doesn't need this. It can be short. But for a long time, we smeared everything together. Yes. And so we'd have this like Frankenstein garment that looked amazing <laughs> in like magazines and it looked really great on models. And no one could wear it. No one could wear it. Like the, and no one would buy it. And then yeah. we go, why isn't anyone buying it? Anyway, so I think that's um, a really big learning curve. It's, for us, it's customer segmentation and just knowing what their end use is. And then with one fell swoop, what about your target market? Who do you specifically target? Um, we're not specific to age either. I think we try and open it to as big a market as we possibly can. So it's very similar to what you just said now in terms of don't think about the age, think about the customer. So I guess being a woman and designing with Daniel, who isn't one, we have different idea of what a woman should wear and what she likes and what she doesn't like. We have great feedback and insight and direct contact with our customer, mm. um, with our wholesale customer customers more so than our sort of online or in-house customer. So that's how we learn heaps because sometimes we have these lovely collections that are finished and we look at them, we go, wow, that's going to sell. And then again, it doesn't. And we kind of go, well, why? And then when they come into the studio and we make appointments and we meet with them, they tell you honestly what they think. Is that sort of a bit harsh and brutal it, it sometimes? It used to be. It used to be, but it's not really anymore because as personal as it is when you're so close to your product and what you do, you see this now as your future and this is your life and you want to make it work. So because you want to make it work, you have to take that feedback on board. So you just listen. And the bra thing is a big issue, you know, like yeah. I can't wear a bra with it. I can't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and also body shapes are so different and vast that you kind of have to consider them carefully. And for us, the biggest sort of growth recently has been, is being open to that feedback, very close working with our sales agents and our team, our local sort of wholesaling team and support there. The feedback is huge. So we make it our business to really stay connected with clients Yes, because you learn so much from that. You know, you can kind of put yourself away into the studio and design this beautiful collection and have no idea who it's for, where when you're engaged, you learn who it's for and sales show you what's working. And I'm thinking of engagement. I mean, you think of, um, I mean, AMP is so passionate 
passionate about that retail experience. So, you know, it's so good that you've kindly hosted this forum this morning because I think that whole retail experience now is so important. It is. When we have the competition of, you know, e-commerce. So, you know, what do you three do from a retail point of view to make if I'm going into one of your stores, to make it an exciting experience? Well, I guess these guys will be, may be able to answer that in greater depth because they have retail outlets. Yes, we yeah. deal with customers Plus, that are coming to us and we specifically cater to their needs. Yeah. There's a lot of that in-house work. Being a woman, being a consumer and also somebody that loves product, I think service is everything. Mm. When you have that connection with a person behind the product, you're more likely to engage into the product. That's, I think, that's super important. I imagine yeah, that's so the same I, for you yeah. guys. Yeah. Look, it's really hard. Stuff is, you can design the best collection and make it suitable and do all that sort of stuff. And then if your staff member isn't happy or she's pissed off for some reason, sorry. (laughs) She's busy on Instagram. Yeah, she's doing something. She's not going to sell something. Um, So look, we've gone through a really big learning curve. We've got a lot of stores now and a lot of staff. How many stores now do you have? Just about to open our 15. Oh, yeah. Wow. So thank you. <laughs> there's a lot. Um, and there's a lot of girls working in these shops that it's hard. A lot of the time when we first started out, I was really just adamant about opening stores and getting clothes in there yeah. and shoving girls in there and giving them a key and going, it's easy sell. Um, it's not. And it's really hard to keep that team really motivated. We've got a really great executive team that now works with them and there's monthly trainings, there's incentives, there's inductions, there's there's so much stuff and it makes such a difference. I didn't realise how important staff was and how important staff training was. I thought I'm making really nice product, I'm putting it in a shop, it looks really good on Instagram, it should sell. But the uptake from the training and all that has been phenomenal and we now teach our staff members about business things that, that usually other people probably wouldn't. So we teach them about, you know, if you increase this ATV, your store's going to be more profitable in this sense. And then we attach all of their incentives yep. to a business sense so that they understand when they sell a top with that skirt, it's going to increase their ATV, which will increase their annual mm. profit. And then they actually feel engaged, I think. Good. And they've also got to love the product. But if they're not engaged in, you know, the business and the success and all that sort of stuff, they're not going to sell. They're just going to wait there until someone brings something up to the counter and then they'll scan it through and wrap it up and put it in. But there's a real difference between doing that and actually, you know, engaging with your customer and, and making Mark, a sale. And, Mark, do you find the same with staff? Yeah, um, our staff are really integral to our retail business and, you know, we really highly value the amount of, product knowledge we give them um, on every item, on Mm. every thread almost in that product. So that product knowledge piece is really important to us prior to going out into store. They almost know more about the brand than I do. They are so knowledgeable about it. And I think that that's part of the experience for the customer. I have so many friends that will say, oh, I just shopped with them. And, you know, the way they spoke, spoke so eloquently about your product. Oh, and it's nice. It's so beautiful. Yeah. But, often, yeah. but I think that's so refreshing to hear because, you know, often yeah. we always hear these bad stories about, oh, did you go into that store and the staff, you know, they didn't give us stuff yeah. or whatever. But when you actually, as you were saying, Adrian, really – include them in the process because they are the end point. You know, if you don't have great staff at the end, you ain't going to sell a thing. So, yeah. it's, you know, I think that it's nice that they realise that and then that they are such an integral part of the yeah. success of your label. Yeah, I think it's hard in the retail space. For us, it's been really hard teaching our staff that retail isn't just a bridging job. Like, there mm. is a career in retail yep. and there are progression steps to get there and there's different levels that you can get to. I think that for a lot of people do have this idea that retail is something you do when you're 16 to 24 and then you go and get a real job or you're just doing it in between but we're sort of trying to hire now for 
career retailers. And there are girls out there who are really hungry for this is a career. And it is, it's a great career. So it's about explaining to them that it's not just unlock the door, come in, exactly. close the door at night. Yeah. When it gets, I guess, um, onto the when we get onto the online space, um, one fell swoop. A lot of your sales via your starting online to, starting to, to be, but we still find that um, perhaps the size of our brand and the awareness of our brand is a little bit less than these guys. Or you know, mm. so for us, it's still the wholesale is really strong, as mm. is our door sort of through the door business that we cater directly. So that's still really strong. We have noticed in the probably last six months, and probably because we've made a conscious effort to sort of work on that market more and to present sort of a stronger uh, front through the online. So that's picking up definitely with our partnership with Iconic and different places, platforms like that, it's definitely working and quite strong, but our wholesale is still sort of the strong game. And so it sort of moves then on to social media. I think we can't have this conversation without talking about the importance of it, making sure that you keep your social media handles up to date and every day that you're uploading something. Margie, are you, how active is Victoria Woods on social media? Mm. And if so, who looks after that? And because it is yeah. to do it correctly, it is very time consuming. Yeah. So, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Well, we're still a relatively small business, or maybe medium-sized business now. I'm not sure where you'd categorise us, but we've got four people in our marketing team, and a few of them are totally dedicated. Their social job really is to create savvy, content. Yeah. So, um, whether that be for you know social media or for EDMs, and yep. it's their job to do that. So it's an in, definitely uh, integral to the success of our business. You know, and, and what about customers kind of like it? They want so much, yes. you know what I mean? Like they constantly want to be and is the, um, these images. Is the return on investment, is it worthwhile? Yeah. So you actually, yeah. you do see that yeah. ROI, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, it's just another communication channel. Yeah. It's like coming into store. It's yeah. like, you know, we've got that power to communicate daily. So yeah, I know um, the age Insta account, I mean, it's huge. And I, you know, I'm always looking at it, whoever does it. Does a very good job yeah, of it. Lots of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a big team. You've got a whole lot of profits, yeah. have you? Going Everyone on? asked me like, "Oh, so that um, post you did it?" And I go, you know, "Let me go check you that." Go <laughs> I haven't seen that post yet. But so, you, you see the importance of it, and you see the reward. At definitely. The end. Look, I think it's a combination of things. Social media. It isn't the be-all and end-all, but it definitely does help customers see what's out there. And it's about engaging with them. We have this thing where we have elevation, but there's also alienation. So you can also alienate people really quickly on social media. So it's this really fine balance of trying to, you know, be really high fashion, but also show them a way that they can wear it and buy it. For us, a direct ROI from Instagram is hard to measure um, until you go into, we have a lot of... Instagram ads and yes. ad- advertising and sales and that. So when it gets down to that, it's a profitable part of the business, but it's a bigger section. I mean, it's now Instagram, it's Pinterest, it's, I mean, it goes out to everything. There's blogs and... Exactly. Yeah. Is, is your, um, I mean, you obviously have Facebook pages as well, but out of all of the platforms available, which works the best I for you? I would definitely know? say that Instagram Insta, does because yeah. you see a direct link to sale and also like the contact through email and a phone, text and call comes through Instagram the most. Again, like these two, I definitely believe in investing in that side of the business and making sure that you have a very consistent platform for people to kind of read your business by. It is very difficult to find the balance because you do find sometimes you alienate people simply by putting images that are not so maybe relatable or lifestyle focused and that's not good for sales again. At the same time, I also believe that you speak when you have something to say. So 
you kind of don't want to overwhelm them with posts mm. regularly each day, three times a day, because that's what you should do. I think when I look at and do a bit of research myself as someone that sees that this is somewhere that I want to kind of focus my energy on in the business, you kind of realize that you do learn a lot from other big brands like Nike and Apple and people like that. And when you read a lot and you tend to learn about social media and it's constantly changing and evolving, exactly. it's sometimes like saying a little bit less, but you do get a bigger message across. So mm. I think choosing that content is so important. And yeah, just like having to create it. Yeah. It's a whole job that you yeah, have to it find. Is, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it does have to be on brand. It has to you be know, on suddenly brand. Suddenly, I think as you yeah. were saying, Adrian, you can then put up one post and then totally alienate, well, not totally alienates, but it will piss mm. a few people off. All those yeah. things. Yeah. That is so not on brand for age or yeah, yeah. it is just indulgent or whatever. So, you know, there is a thinking and a psyche behind putting up the right types of posts on, on any platform. I think as people feel that they know you through your social media. So mm. they sort of start to feel this connection. And we find that if you post those beautiful images that you think are fantastic from your latest campaign, they just kind of go, okay. But the minute you post a photo of your studio space, your workspace, your team, your yep. dog, they're like, oh my God, that is amazing. Or because they feel like they know you because they've just seen your dog and they've seen you at your cutting table yes. and they're making that connection. I think that's what people like. Yeah, I think, I think there, it's that joining of... The balance you want, between... You want a flogged yeah. product, basically. Yeah. But you want to also know a little bit about the team behind yeah, the brand. Definitely. So I think just to put those occasional sort of personal um, yeah. posts up there, just to give your platform a life and a personality. Yeah. Adrian, do you find that? There's no, no dogs on ours anymore. Um, dogs are banned. Dogs are banned. Um, food is also banned most of the time. You get lots of likes, but I'm like, well, that was a waste of that Close. space. Yeah. Um, look, uh, it's very analytical. Ours. Our team is really big. The market, head of marketing is um, really experienced. It's, it's quite analytical. It gets down to the stage where we know, like everyone does, like exactly what time we're going to post it. And then every week there is a review of every what, what single worked, Instagram post work, and what yeah. worked and what didn't work. And then it's going back and it's basically replicating what works and what doesn't work and what's driving sales. So for us, Instagram was organic to start with. And you still have to keep that in there because yeah. of all the algorithms. And I'm not in this space. I have other no, people it, doing this. They not, know a lot more than I do. But It's a very specialized space. I mean, with, yeah. with algorithms, especially now with the algorithms um, with Instagram, which have just... Yeah, they you know, just totally and they change changed, all the time, yeah. so you don't really know what's happening. And as I said, I'm not. This isn't my space, the Instagram mm. space. But I do know that things like trying to make your page look really nice is now Instagram's like penalising people for that, so you're not coming up <laughs> on the um, feeds fast enough. So look, it's a big monster, and you've really got to work it, and you've really got to get everything you can out of it. But it takes time, and and there's smart people in this space now working on it. It's exactly. no longer like kids on Instagram posting photos. There's people. Yeah. Doing a lot of like work behind the scenes to make sure Instagram. Works. So okay, so that's the social media part of the branding of your brands. When it comes to um, you know appearing in a magazine, whether it's a Harper's or a Vogue or L or whatever, how important are those sort of appearances now? And do you see a return if one of your pieces is in a physical magazine? I like seeing it there. I think most magazines are also online as well. So yeah. it may appear 
on the pages of the magazine. We use that as like it's beautiful content for us as well, which then goes onto a social media platform like Instagram. So it does get shared. I don't know. I mean, everyone talks about whether online and the real magazines mm. are going to last. I think there's always a balance. It's there's like a, yeah, there bricks and mortar. Balance, it's like yeah. saying, oh, you, you should close down all your bricks and mortar stores and only focus mm. online. Well, if you did that, you'd be, mm. I don't not an idiot, but maybe yeah. some people would do it, but I wouldn't do it. So I think maybe that's the same in the I think that's the same, world. certainly. I mean, working in that digital space and the hard copy space, there's such a combination now of using the two yeah. together in a, in a really good way. And it's something that's newsy, you, you know, it has to go up online that day or the next day. But I think there's still something about every month or bi-monthly getting your hands on a And that editorial magazine. is always beautiful. I mean, that's always what everyone as a yeah. fashion designer always aim for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a balance. From a design process point of view, Margie, are there some times where you sort of sit down and think, oh, man, I just... I've got no inspiration. I really, you know, I'm thinking, um, you know, winter next year or, you know, and I just, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, we finished designing autumn and we are on to winter mm. next year. So, yeah. It's are you, so are you far inspired in already? Or? Always, to be honest. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I, I don't you think there's not. ever a, a shortage, no. Good. I mean, the speed and how quickly it turns around, that's sometimes hard because you need a bit of a break and, mm. you know, you need to breathe a little bit in between. But to be honest, sometimes you've got to stop yourself constantly creating mm. within that collection. It's like sometimes our collections are way too big. They don't need to be that big, mm. you know. You know, but now we've got some smart people in our team as well that are giving us option plans yeah. and all that sort of thing so we can control that. But I don't think there's ever a shortage because things keep moving, things keep evolving. Yeah, and I think specifically you know, now because we, because we are yeah. our, the pace of our lives is so fast. So the inspiration that you're getting, there so is so much happening. There's so much you can sort of refer to, whether it's referring to what's happening politically or whatever. There's always something happening that will just maybe give you a little spark of uh, excitement or innovation. Adrian, how difficult or how easy does it come to you from a design point of view? Um, look, I'm always, I've always been a creative person. So I was a painter before I got mm. into this space. So we use art a lot as inspiration. It's kind of like a nice, easy stepping board. So every time you need to do something, go and find a new artist and you research them and do that but you can be creatively drained we deliver twice a month and there's collections each month that have their own sort of story so there's a lot of work that goes into it I think if you love doing things which I do and if you love being in this space there's not really a time where I mean you know what go on a holiday you go on a holiday you come back and you're refreshed yes I think yeah. creatively that's what I reckon and Nina for us I mean Daniel my partner is yeah. a bigger sort of creative designing part to this brand. I don't think we ever have moments when there's dullness or no excitement, but there are times when, you know, you finish one collection, you just feel like you've just done something wonderful and you can't even enjoy it, celebrate it because you have to be on to the next. And being a small team, everything does happen in-house and it happens with the two of us. So that's a bit of a challenge that you kind of just sometimes wish you can just go, can you just go there and do that? (laughs) But you can't. So then you kind of go, yeah. And there's also, because we are in a studio together all of the time, the design period can be quite tense, emotionally high, but there's never any shortage of ideas. And if there ever is a blockage, you just need to walk away and come back with a different perspective. The beauty of two people is that somebody always has a different idea or a different way of doing something or analysing it a different way. But as we grow, as we learn, I think the 13th years of business have taught you a lot is that you do have to be really removed emotionally from mm. as much as you don't want to. Sometimes you kind of have to step aside and leave the emotion and just think with your sort of business hat on when it comes to the final stage of design and you think about the customers and the demographic and breaking it down and mm-hmm sales and those kind of things too. So 
design part is always fun, but it feels that you can't kind of indulge in the time that you would want to spend on each collection as you'd like to. So you and Daniel both design together pretty yeah. much. How does that work when you do have a, I mean, do you have a few differences of um, opinions at times? Oh, I think we do. I think that's a beautiful part Which is of good. it. I think that's what creates a, a beautiful mm. product that we mm. have that sometimes, you know, we both have different personalities. We both have different passions and different likes in terms of aesthetically what we like and they come together nicely. Yeah, it's a nice way to design and also have someone to, you know, when you have an idea, someone can, can kind of bring it out of you more than you can yourself sometimes and that's what the partner does. Mm. So it's nice. Okay. Adrian, you were saying you do two jobs a month. I mean, obviously with the rise of you know, the fast chains, was that anything to do with that? Because, you know, we do go into particular stores where every week yeah. there's a drop. Did you do that Yeah, we made a decision when we went hard into retail, which was about seven years ago. I had about three stores at that stage and wholesale. I looked at it and I looked at it and I saw what was happening in fast fashion. This was just when sort of Zara and H&M and those were opening and looked at it really closely and everyone was going, oh, this is going to kill designers. And it did. It killed off a lot of designers, but it killed off the designers that were ripping off stuff from other high-end designers overseas and they weren't fast enough. So we made the decision to try and take on sort of fast fashion tactics, but in a high fashion way. We also then made like a really big decision to make sure we never referenced anyone from overseas because you just can't compete with them. You've got to really keep a really unique point of view. Obviously, everyone's influenced by trends and stuff, but I think that trying to keep up with those fast fashions, you can't do it, but you can take learnings from them. And we were finding when we were delivering a season collection, so we'd go, okay, a season lasts, you know, three months and we'd drop it. And then the first week, the sales would be fantastic. And then the second week, they'd start going down and down. And then at the end of three months, nobody wants your product because they've been seeing it there for so long. So we then went to, okay, well, let's see how fast we can drop. And so we went to monthly drops and now we're every two weeks we drop new product. How how, how difficult is that even just from a... It's a huge... yeah, like from a phys- like a technical point it's, of view, it's actually. big. There's a really big team in place mm. to put it in, and you know, it is, it's exhausting because you're always designing new stuff. But we also have core product, so mm. it's product that always sits in our stores. I mean, we sell millions of our age T-shirts. You know, so does Margie sells T-shirts. They can stay in there the whole time. So it's not about redesigning them; it's about replenishing them, and it's about replenishing our skirts and then giving them updates of fashion in between that. And what about with I mean, I guess with the three of you, um, fabrics is it easier now? Is it just source fabrics are most of your fabrics sourced internationally for us they are there's Mm -hmm. obviously the mills are all out of australia so Mm -hmm. we do have lots of great people that we see within australia unfortunately in the recent times a few of them have are no longer around they couldn't sustain because brands are going directly to china and you know Mm -hmm how the fashion industry has changed. So that's been a bit of a challenge, but because we do use a fair bit of silk in our collections, we have a really close relationship with a company that's based in Perth, which is lucky enough, and they've been around for many years, and they sort of tend to go off and source from all over the globe, focusing mainly on Korea and really good quality silks and dyeing processes that happen. So yeah, it is more difficult now because there are less companies you can sort of visit and Mm. choose from without having to go directly to China, which we've also just recently tried as well. So I guess you just got to get clever and you yes. have to change the way you're used to working. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's a different way and we aim to sort of explore that way of going direct. Adrian, what about you with fabrics? Look, we're made entirely offshore. So we're made in China and India. So all of our fabric is made over there. We get amazing fabrics though. And I think China used to be a dirty word in manufacturing and production. Um, it can't be now. 
Well, the product that comes out of there is so beautifully made and the conditions over there are fantastic. They're all accredited for all their environmental factors and all that sort of stuff that in the past probably didn't exist in China now exists over there. And I had an interesting conversation with someone from one of the big department stores in Hong Kong and China. And one of the questions was, is the Chinese consumer reluctant to buy something made in China? And they said, yeah, you know what, three, four years ago they were. Mm. Now everything's made mm. over there. Mm. And I hold up our garments. And we were also made in India. And a lot of our fabrics, we used to do a lot of handloom fabrics, yeah. which we still do a lot of our handloom fabrics in India. But when I hold a garment that's made in India up next door to one that has been made in one of our really amazing factories in China, it's like chalk and cheese. It, it, it is so beautiful, the stuff that is coming out of China and the quality. And also we're doing big quantities. So mm. it, we can't do that small run anymore. And I'm, I think you guys are made in Australia, aren't you? A lot of it is, yeah. I don't know how to do it. So my, yeah. my experience has never been in Australia. I yeah. started off in Indonesia originally, so I've always done stuff offshore. So if somebody said, make me a dress in Australia, I'd go, oh, no go idea. Yeah. Yeah. Call Marky, I have no idea <laughs> how to even start doing it. So yeah. that's, that's not my experience. My experience is all offshore. Is it challenging, Margie, to have... Oh, look... Um, what, how, what percentage would be made in Australia? Well, some collections, it's... Right now, it's 100%. Wow. <laughs> Some are maybe 95%, but that doesn't mean it won't change because, mm. you know, like... Because from a cost point of view, I mean, you do then weigh yeah. up what you could get made in China or in Indonesia or somewhere else, yeah. as opposed to here. Have you done those sums and thought, hang on, we could be doing this Yeah, elsewhere? we are doing those sums at the moment. Yes. And it does start to influence your thinking mm. quite a bit. But apart from that, it's really just capabilities as well that starts to influence it. It's not just profits. It's so many other elements as yeah, well. To make those offshore companies work, you need to give them perfect information. If your yes. information isn't perfect, and, you've and given do, them. And, yeah. and do you have to go there and you create, yeah. obviously, a relationship yeah. with a particular manufacturer? Yeah, so you have. Yeah. Um, we have a number of different ones. So we mm. do all of the sampling in-house with all of our yeah. own pattern makers. And so we make the actual first garment here in Australia mm. and then that's sent over over to the factory with a whole heap of technical specs mm. and then they'll make their first sample and send it back. Oh, so good, so then, of, they make, then you look at that sample and go, Is it perfect? correct or not? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or not. Or not, yes, yeah, 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 a yeah. lot of the time it's majority not. Though, yeah. <laughs> majority yes or majority not? Now majority yes. Good, because they've yeah. probably got your vibe. And they've got, they get penalised if it's not. No, yeah, I, can imagine, yeah. I can imagine the phone call you'd make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I look sweet but I'm no. not. <laughs> Well, I think there must be some questions from the audience, I hope, uh, for our panellists. Hey, Adrian talked a lot about some steep learning curves. I didn't hear from the girls, but what's one of your biggest mistakes and what you learned from it? Well, I think like a lot of what Adrian says has said is very similar to my business, even like um, designing and collections and then breaking that down to monthly and then down to fortnightly just so we're constantly engaged with that customer that's one of our learnings as well but there's so many I mean I don't know like you need to be more specific I could go on about a million different <laughs> learnings I have no idea what like how to answer that really if you had something more specific I'd answer it yeah it's every day is a learning to be honest yeah. yeah, I kind of feel the same. I think, I mean, we can go back to the beginning and early days of huge mistakes of learning curves, but even now, like every single day that you want to grow, there's something new to learn, something new to do. I mean, biggest learning, yeah, okay, Daniel's reminding me the sleeve head, like we've spent so much time and money investing, like In trying what? to do a really good sleeve and a really oh, good okay. sleeve head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, how do we still get it wrong? Like, so we still get it, yeah. you know, we do a jacket or a shirt and we put it on, we're like... 
That looks awful. (laughs) Like just little like pattern making things because we again do everything ourselves and we tend to kind of don't have a pattern maker. We do everything in house Mm. and produce here. So it's very sort of like controlled. And so some days you spend a very long time on a sleeve head and yeah. you don't make any progress We're the same. and it's you're like constant. are you serious Our sizing it's like oh, so yeah sizing <laughs> sizing is a huge thing like yeah. getting a perfect mannequin we're just now investing in a whole bunch of them just so they can be closer to what we deem to be a perfect size 8 yeah. in this modern world that we live in I so always changes, those the changes all the time and I was so, like have we changed our block cuz yeah. everything's looking huge and oh, they're that's like oh, so, no. that's exactly what we're going <laughs> through yes oh. happened yeah so sizing, <laughs> so sizing is a huge thing I have no idea. Yeah. I think that's anyway. probably good news for a lot of people, to be yeah. totally honest. I was really interested in the staffing side of it. I think, Adrian, you mentioned it sounds like you trust your staff an awful lot. It sounds like you've got a lot of trust in what they do and what they contribute. Yeah. Is that true for everybody? Is it true for you, Adrian? Um, yeah, definitely. Look, look, you can't not trust your staff. I think that there's always an element of you've got a lot of people working for you. Not all of them are going to be good people. Um, they're not bad people. They're probably just not going to do good things all the time. Um, <laughs> but look, I think you do have to really trust them. I think you have to give them power more than anything and going, you know what, we trust you. This is what you've got to mm. do. And when people own parts of business, and this is for retail and head office as well, it's about, and I was explaining actually just this morning to Margie, I went away for a month, I've just got back, and I literally went away because we put in a whole new executive team, and the recommendation was, Adrian, get out of the office, <laughs> like, let these people do what they do and put trust in the fact that you've gone out and you've hired these people and you're paying them these salaries, so go away, like go away, because I'm one of those people that will go around to every single staff member and find out exactly what's going on and check everything. So I think you do. You have to do it from right at the top. You have to trust the people you're putting in right down to mm. your store staff. You've got to trust them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I was just really interested in the points that you were making about, I guess, that consumer focus and being very consumer-driven and then the following conversation that we had around location, environmental sustainability, where um, goods are, I guess, made. Are you seeing any shifts within the marketplace around either looking for Australian-made items or not, or an acceptance of some of those other more social and environmental factors within the marketplace? I can answer that one just because I got an email this morning about it. So it's always a conversation that goes on. And so we're actually about to put in place something because there's just... I reckon it's just in the last six months that it's become this, like rolling sort of every single time someone comes in they're asking if it's sustainable, sustainable how it's made so look all of our factories have to be accredited anyway for us to use them and there's a whole heap of I don't know what all those letters you don't do it there's a whole heap of letters that they've got a you know AAS and all Auditing, this sort of stuff yeah. yeah so the factories are audited but now it's about how we communicate that to our customers because it's actually coming from the customer level now it's coming through our customer service it's coming through our staff members yeah. and we haven't actually given them that information. So head office knows about it. Mm. Um, we know what we're doing, but it's about now teaching our staff how to talk about it. But being 100% sustainable, it's a hard thing to be in this industry. Mm. Um, and then you've got to balance that with making money to pay all your staff. Yes. So I think that for us, sustainability is something that we'll probably 
definitely be working towards at the moment. We're trying to make things that people use more than once but it's and very, don't throw away. Yeah, but it's, I mean, you know, obviously the word sustainability is something that we are all talking about in, in all aspects of our lives. But, you know, it can't just happen overnight yeah. because, you know, you, you, there are factors at play from yeah. fabric sourcing, from you know, where, where you actually have your garments made. You can't just suddenly go, that's it, okay, I'm going to you know, no, get it, it all made. it takes a long time to do it, as well. It's really a lot. It but is, we have found thing. as well that the consumer is more interested now than yes. ever before. Oh, it's crazy, so it's yeah. kind Particularly of, um, the, the younger consumer because, you know, they are talking yeah. about being more sustainable. So you have to... Living a more sustainable life. Yeah. And they want that to follow through when they go into yeah. a store to buy something, yeah. I, I think one of the big things that we are just about to roll out was I went out at the back of our head office one day and we have these skip bins and I had this neighbour who was just driving me insane about these bins that were always full. I was like, why are these bins always full? And it was full of plastic. And I got really, like, I'm one of those people that goes and takes my own bags to the supermarket and would never get a plastic bag. And then I went out and had a look at our back office, like the back of our head office, and there was skip bins filled with plastic once-use bags that the garments come in. So all of our T-shirts, every T-shirt that has to be shipped from overseas, it has to be in a plastic slip bag because otherwise if it gets wet or something like that. Anyway, and so I went nuts. I was like, what are we doing? And how often is this happening? It was happening every day. So we have just about to launch all recyclable, reusable bags. So all of our T-shirts, all of our core, all of our fashion. So now that'll be something that we'll be talking about. I mean, it's only a tiny thing that we're doing. But 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 it's a big thing. I mean, that's all one designer with one skip bin per day like that. Multiply that by hundreds and hundreds. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm such a hypocrite when I tell them that I don't want to use that plastic bag at the store where I'm I'm taking... Yeah, Yeah. I get it. For us, the sustainability and the sort of um, caution that we take starts from the actual cutting period. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's very it's probably easier for us because we are much smaller, but it has to start in the whole cutting room and cutting process. I know, I know, I keep everything. No, I keep them as well. I was like, can't we send these back to the factories? I keep and everything. I, yeah. So basically, when we do the cutting and the lays, we separate the paper and the fabric, and the paper goes into the recycle. And the fabric sometimes go either to colleges, but often they go to a guy comes and collects them. They go into boxing bags. They go into yeah. all different sort of reusable things after. And yes, I'm very funny about packaging and all those things. And yeah, I'm really pleased that people actually want to know where mm. they made how, and also young women are wanting to be more educated. I suppose you also have to justify a price point. So they're like, well, why is your dress X amount of dollars when I can buy something else that's not? You kind of have to justify and explain to them and educate them. And you kind of hope that that sort of ricochets further down. And in the future, it can't always be easy because you want to grow and you want to pay yourself and pay people. And so it's a fine balance. It's a kind of ongoing thing. But I'm very glad that people are more aware of it now than in the previous times. I don't think that there won't be sustainable scissors. Sorry, Daniel. (laughs) Uh, Daniel's brought our whole workshop here with the weights, the tapes, the scissors, it's all here. (laughs) I'll just actually interject there because that actually leads into something that I was going to ask and that was about is sort of the price points of your label to a degree like a conscious decision because I guess from like a a consumer's point of view, sometimes, you know, you're with a brand from the beginning and the dresses might start out at, you know, $200 and before you know it, as their credibility and their popularity goes up, you know, the price points just shoot up through the roof. Obviously, you may assume that there's better quality fabrics and this type of thing, but to a degree, you know, is there that consciousness of trying to stay accessible to a certain market or how does that work? 
I think our garments, we focus on the classic timeless design, which is, again, sustainable as well. And I think people pay for that because it's not throwaway fashion. They're going to hand it down to their daughter or to their friend or, you know, I'm constantly handing things out to my friends and then they're handing handing it down. Um, Are there, like, a lot of different things that dictate, you know, the final price tag on an item? Or um, Well, really, it's the base fabric we use. We'll sometimes inform that in price and we don't compromise too much on that. It's, it's what we want to use and our customer comes to us for those natural fibres and it's the backbone of our business. And I don't think we're at all... Um, price doesn't factor too much into how we design. But we are an accessible luxury brand I guess it's quite accessible compared to other brands in the market that do similar thing but you get such a beautiful quality product for that you talked about social media I'd be interested in understanding your views on brand ambassadors or when you've had a moment where you've seen somebody someone famous or a celebrity wear your garment you've had that oh wow moment once Kate Blanchett wore our garment, that was a, a real moment yeah. for us. I haven't got her yet, but she's on my yeah. list. I'm like, can we just send something? Yeah. God and sake. do you know what? We should have pushed it out more on social media back then. I think we just did one little snip of it. Like, oh, Why didn't we do that like five in a amplified row? Amplified that everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I guess other than that, there's a lot of influencers that wear our product, and they're not paid ambassadors for us. We're lucky that they actually wear our product. But other times we might do a paid collaboration as a project as opposed to them wearing it every other day, you know. So um, I think it all has a space. I think about about a handful that I really, really look at and think, you know what, yes, you are fantastic and I know that your return would be worthwhile. Do you get inundated, though, by some girls, I will say mainly girls, who will um, just say, oh, I've got 10,000 followers. You say, send me free stuff. I mean, I mean, that, I mean no, but that is, I mean, I hear these stories every day because they just think... They don't, that doesn't get, this, that, there's a filter, I, I think, bet you before were. it gets to me. <laughs> your, your team would do that. Yeah. But, you know, there are, no doubt, and I see Lindy, Clement, Lindy... Not Clem, yeah, exactly. Congratulations. <laughs> Lindy in the audience. Oh, nice stuff oh, to see. By the way, Lindy... Yeah, she, she's wearing our stuff. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> <laughs> she great. Um, I didn't know you were here. But, you know, but I look at Lindy, you know, there's, a, there's you know, really, there's about four or five that I look at and I think you are authentic and you wear it with a sense of integrity and I don't know, but I just, there are some who I just think try to I think you've got hard. to have authenticity and there are, yeah. there are a group of girls yeah. that, you know what, it's they wear many. the stuff and they look great in it yeah. and they do great things and they treat it like a business. This is, well, this is yeah. it. It's a business. It's not yeah. just a matter of like finding a great location and just throwing on something. There's actually thought put into it. Yeah, there's definitely. a reason why they're wearing it. There's actually a styling process that they they're put into like it. Almost like the new magazine editors. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's not just a let's just chuck it on and, and hope no, for the best. To resonate and, with and your take brand, a couple hundred yeah. Bucks, yeah. You know? If the person doesn't resonate with your brand, it means nothing. Yeah. yeah. So they either can speak to your audience and mm. feels right, or it's just not worth it, really. Yeah. So yeah. do you either of you three pay for influencers to wear your garments? We haven't as yet. No, mm-hmm. I think it's the same sort of conversation that we've just had now that we talk about it, but we just don't feel it's right. I think you want to engage. You want women. You know, there are several people in Australia where you look at them, you go, you admire them and you aspire mm-hmm. to have your clothing on them. And that's how I'd like it to be. I mm-hmm. think that, you know, when they choose to wear it, that's really special. And you're hopefully your audience responds to that. But there are also some everyday women that yeah. wear your product and you'll also feel really honoured for yes. that. And you yeah. sort of share that image. You get engagement from it and it's free. 
and that's mm. nice too. So yeah, I very much probably wouldn't pay. And you get a lot of emails and calls, but then you look at them and you look at their page and it doesn't sort of speak to you and mm. you just go, well, you're 12 and no. <laughs> um, look, I yeah. think there's balance. I think that so I. for us, the paid post type thing, it doesn't work for us in the paid post sense, but we get them on board. We have something called the Age Insider. So that's where the person is brought on. It's usually like an influencer or a yeah. celebrity or somebody who's doing something interesting in the world. We, I mean, we do actors, we do ballet dancers, we do bloggers, we do everyone. Oh, that, that's paid because they're working and they're doing a photo shoot, but it's more creative than that. And so they take a creative direction and then there's an interview process and we kind of delve a bit more into their lives. Yes, it's not just the one No, there's not me going, you know, post this T-shirt on Instagram. That's not what we do. There's definitely a place for it though. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. It's a business. These people are working. Like they haven't got another job. It's not like Mm. they're just taking, like some of them maybe are taking pictures of themselves and doing other things, Mm. but the people that are doing it properly... a full-time job and they should be treated they should be treated like professionals as well that's my opinion you feel the same totally when we go into a collaboration mode it's really a creative process that we're going into you know a few months ago was moving images that we want to make it was just a a creative thing that we wanted to engage Mm. with it might be an influencer that resonates with our customer again but then on the other side they're going out all the time and you know they need to wear clothes and they have access to our clothing so we've got a balance as well just like adrian yeah Yeah. some are paid and some are not yeah i was curious as to how the three of you each scaled your businesses it's a big step going from one or two people who have some crazy ideas to a big major brand um when was the right time for you to take the next step um and become the size of the company that you are now Well, we're constantly evolving as a brand. I think we started off as a wholesaler and then 2014 we started working with David Jones and that was a a very big step for us. And we also, same year, opened up a pop-up store. Actually, it was with a collaboration that I did with Lindy back then too, where funnily enough, we opened up that pop-up store and launched this collaborative project that we did together um, in that store. And then from there it worked We kept that pop-up store, it became a permanent store and now we've moved into a larger one on the same street and by the end of this year we'll be at six stores. It's been really organic. (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. Uh, Look, I think it's just time. It it takes a long time to do it. We ran probably a really bad business for about eight years um, (laughs) and I had no idea how to run a business and I think you just learn and... When you talk about scaling, it does, weirdly, it happens organically. But I think you also need to have things behind the scenes to understand financially what's going to happen if you mm. do something. So you can't go and say, I'm going to open 10 stores and start signing leases without having you know, the money behind yeah. you to be able to actually fit them out and open them. And I know a few years ago, I was on this big opening stores, opening stores, opening stores. And when you're doing that, you're going to have to, uh, we're all self-funded. So it's really hard to kind of find money to do this the whole time. And I planned out a whole heap of stores and then the bank said, yep, I'm going to lend you this amount of money. And right before I needed that money, the bank went, oh, it looks a little risky. And so they said, we're not going to lend you that money. And so I had all these stores open I had no stock in them and it nearly killed my business. So you've got to be, and it's just like the gears and the whole business just turned. So I had stock sitting in factories waiting to be delivered. I had stores open. I had no stock in there. So I was actually talking to Dan yesterday about that. She said, remember that January three years ago? I was like, oh shit. It was one of the worst things. Like I had all these new stores and there was just nothing hanging in them. So about scaling, you've just got to be really careful. And now I am so careful. You can over, over capitalize your, your growth. 
both. And totally. And, and everything just grinds to a halt. And yeah. it happens to people. It happens to really successful people. So you've got to know your finances. That's probably the biggest thing. Mm. Make yeah, sure we're the money. same like that. We're self-funded as yeah. well. And we watch our cash flow daily, <laughs> literally daily. Yeah. Um, Get those figures in each day. Yeah. 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 Like we to. forecast <laughs> and then we try and under-forecast and overspend so we can watch that cash flow right along the line and um, really map those stores into that. And those banks, yeah, they're so unreliable, oh. aren't they? <laughs> they will not take a risk. <laughs> banks, yeah. let's not start on banks. No, we won't another. go there. <laughs> um, There's some good banks. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be cheeky and ask two questions, if I may. And make them short. Yes. Um, <laughs> when is the best time for an Australian designer to take a holiday? You were talking about <laughs> self-sustainability and not wanting to draw too much influence from overseas necessarily. And the second question probably arises because a lot of us enjoyed the um, new McQueen movie that is out. If you had a blank cheque and you were allowed to be as creative as possible, not necessarily sticking to your brand and your current concept, what would you like to do as far as a special collection is concerned? I'd go and open oh, more stores. Yes, yeah, so would Sorry. I. Sorry. <laughs> I think this whole You and yours. Thing, I'm open up in no, I just yeah. think that the, the, the creativity is a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And you can be creative. And do you know what? Lots of people can be creative. But you can't be creative if you're poor. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not fun. Like struggling artists Have and struggling businesses artist? are not no, fun. Really yeah. Really. So, I mean, I obviously do a few beautiful big dresses, but yeah. A question like that is just a tease. Yeah. I mean, is that ever going to be a time when the, <laughs> that finance is under question? You know, you know, there could potentially be, but you know, I'd love I think, a blank I mean, it, that would be wonderful to have a month of no thought of costs and paying people and any of that kind of business stuff and just to create or just sort of wander through the day and make beautiful things. But then I think the drive is there, especially for our brand, who is, again, in scale, different to you guys. But the drive is there because the hunger is there and the passion is there because the hunger is there. And for as long as you have that sort of drive to keep above water, to keep the banks away, you will always work really hard and kind of put your back into it and I think that's the beauty of it is that yeah. there isn't that kind of open check mm. you know I think yeah, that's what, makes what, what that makes you it. work really hard and what drives the whole process and um, makes you respect your co-workers your relationships because the risks are higher and yeah so I'm glad that there isn't that kind of open check in a sense because probably would just blow it anyway no I think that <laughs> struggling at the start of your business makes you really yeah. work harder for it and understand yeah. your mistakes I know that when I started my business i I borrowed money from my parents. And that's the biggest thing. Can you pay them back? I'm about to. <laughs> Keep dragging that one yeah. out. Um, no, but um, the fact of it was that my dad actually went guarantor over my business um, and on my business loans. Yeah. And it's been, well, I've had the business now 10 years. Mm. We're only just at the stage where the banks are now saying, oh, okay, so we can remove you know, your parents' house and their retirement wow. savings wow. and all that sort of stuff. That's so that's so a really big... Yeah. For me, that was probably one of the biggest drivers behind me because I was like, I can't fail. My parents have worked all their lives to live the life they lived. I remember it's probably about six or seven years ago, I've been nearly bankrupt twice. So the, the, the last time was about six or seven years ago. I remember saying to dad, I said, well, what will happen if the business goes bust? He goes, oh, don't worry. I just, I'll sell all my cars and I just won't take your mum on holidays oh. anymore. And well, maybe we can afford to keep the house. I, I was like, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> so, how extraordinary though that for him to have had the faith in you. Oh, he was and, an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> and not just kick you out and so I never want to speak to you ever again. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, obviously I didn't, but I think for me that was such a 
a driving factor for me. And I think everyone, yeah. you know, when we're building these businesses, you scrimp and you save and yep. you grab things from wherever you can and you borrow. And I think that makes you work harder. And I've seen people that have been given that blank yeah, check that you talk absolutely. about and they fail and they think that they're so creative and they do all these things and they build all these like parades and shows and stuff and there's no substance behind it. So I really think that people that come through and we've all done it, most yeah. designers that are successful yeah, have struggled their way to the top. And parents have yeah. to say yes. Yeah. Parents have to <laughs> yeah. write those checks all yep, the time. Unfortunately. Aren't they good mm. parents? Yes. Just a little note before we wrap up. I'd like to thank our fantastic panel, Margie Woods. Thank you, Margie. Adrian Norris. And our beautiful Nina from Moffat WA. And, of course, our fantastic facilitator, Melissa Hoyer. Thank you. And, you know, events like this could not happen without the incredible support of our partners. So please indulge me another minute. Once again, to our presenting partner, AMP Capital, thank you. Thank you so much for your vision. Our support partner, CGM, thank you. To the wonderful QT Hotel, to everyone that makes this festival possible, thank you. (laughs) 